talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. It appears Hibachi has gained the notoriety of the grapple. And you thought Seinfeld was a show about nothing. Here's Scott Thompson! There goes the show under the bus. That's what you get. Good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom watching the world spin around. And, of course, we'll uh, spin right into the round table coming up after uh, the 4.30 news. And I believe it was Diana that picked the tune today, correct, Will? Yes, it was. She was saying that uh, she felt like we needed some nice West Coast vibes, some something warm and sunny to go with whatever's <laughs> happening today. And, I, can, I can hear that. I can feel the warmth already. Right? She said, yeah, it was a toss-up between some Everclear or some Sublime, and we decided Sublime had maybe too many times I'd have to hit the sensor button. So we went with Everclear. Yeah, yeah, no sense working up a sweat on the uh, top hour tune. Just isn't worth it. Uh, great pick again, Diana. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you, too. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open. As we remember uh, last week, uh, the Rogers family fighting in court in regard to uh, who is going to control of their company uh, now it has been revealed today that their uh, president and ceo is has been replaced is no longer the president and the ceo it has been replaced by an interim and now what does this mean moving forward for the company and for you and i and the rest of the customers Richard Powers is with us, Associate Professor, National Academic Director, Director's Education Program and Governance Essentials Program, Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, and with us now. Richard, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. I hope you are as well. Uh, obviously, we've seen the uh, situation with the Rogers family and it obviously ending up in a B.C. court. That is now unchallenged. It appears the legal issues uh, for the family are behind them. Uh, but that being said, what are the challenges moving forward? How do these two sides of this family get together and and present a common front here? Well, I think that's the big question that everybody has. How do you how does the board operate when there's obviously two separate groups there. You've got the mother, Loretta, and the two daughters on one side, uh, perhaps with one or two other directors. And then uh, Roger, Edward Rogers as chair once again with his, uh, with his band of directors as well. And, I, you know, we, we were waiting for this, but as we saw just in the last 24 hours, the CEO, Joe Natale, is out. His chosen uh, successor is in place. And we'll have to see what happens with other senior managers, many who have indicated that they were loyal to Joe Natale, with him gone, will they also be walking? So why the reason for all of this? Uh, obviously, uh, Edward Rogers did not or, or couldn't see eye to eye with Joe Natale. Uh, what was the reason for all of this? Well, Edward, you know, Edward states that he had concerns about uh, Mr. Natale's performance the last couple of years, but he was, he was unable to convince the board that, uh, that, that, was, that the right course of action was to remove him. Recall what happened towards the end of September was he put that motion uh, to the board and the board rejected it at that time, at which point he used his clout as the chair of the trust, the family trust that owns 97.5% of the shares, to uh, remove the independent directors and put his own slate of directors in. As you mentioned, that was challenged in a B.C. court. 
but they ruled in Edwards' favor. So that's how we got here. You know, he'd shown his hand clearly previously. We knew that Joe Natale was going to be gone. The question was when, and very, very swiftly, as we find out. How does all of this affect the the deal with Shaw? Because obviously there was a merger plan before all of this. How does that move forward? Well, I, you know, I think the greatest risk of that deal, in my view, has always been the regulatory risk. You know, this does decrease competition. There's a number of factors there. So whether the three federal bodies that have to give approval to this deal, I think that's where the greatest risk lies. Shoring up the senior management team now, rather than leaving it to, to question, I think is probably the, the right move. We've got enough time to, that, that these regulatory bodies are going to meet. This is going to take some time. Let's shore up the executive team so that, assuming a favorable decision, we're ready to move forward when the deal does is consummated. Uh, many have questioned, and you brought this up just a second ago, uh, one person with all of this control. We know this is what uh, Ted Rogers wanted. Uh, that being said, will Canadians be weary of one person having so much power, not so much within a private company, but within Canada's telecom industry? Well, I think that is a concern, uh, although, you know, to be fair, this is legal. We, the option to uh, with dual-class shares has, has always been there, at least been there as long as I can remember. People investing in a company like Shaw, or sorry, Shaw or, or Rogers, both are family-controlled companies. Uh, we've seen what can happen, but at the same time, investors are looking for two things. You know, they're looking for a dividend, and they're looking for an appreciation in the share value. And I think as long as the companies can deliver on that, people will still buy their shares because they and understanding that when they get into a situation like this, they understand that in this case, one person is going to be calling the shots. It's no different than with Magna. Frank Stronach used to call the shots, but people still invested in, in, in Magna because it was, it was a good investment. That being said, uh, Rogers is one of few uh, uh, telecom companies in this country. Many have said there is not enough competition, that there should be more involved here. Uh, will this increase that discussion? Will, is this winning the battle, losing the war? I don't think it really, I don't think it helps their argument before the regulatory bodies at all, because that question will come up if we allow the merger to go through. What does that do to the competitive landscape around telecom in Canada? So that will be, I think, issue number one for the regulatory bodies. So uh, seeing what can happen and how decisions can be made almost willy-nilly with the stroke of a pen, you can remove directors and put in your own directors. You know, that's that's an issue here. Um, the, the other two telecoms, the main ones, Bell and, and um, TELUS, are both widely held. So you're not going to have that situation there. So I think this is a pertinent question the regulatory bodies will have to deal with. Uh, and the fact that it's two family-owned companies merging, does that draw more attention? Perhaps, but again, I think the, 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 overall, the overall focus will be on what does that do to the competitive landscape, regardless of whether they're two family-owned companies. That's not going to change, obviously. What does change, though, remember, this deal was put together assuming that Joe Natale would be leading the combined company. Is that, does that change things? Um, obviously, uh, the family has appeared to, to mend these fences, at least, uh, in the public eye. Can the family say at this point, uh, okay, it's all over. We've, uh, mended these fences. There's nothing to see here. Is that good enough? No, I, you know, I, I'll, I, I'll challenge that. I don't think the family has mended their fences because we know when the announcement in the last 24 hours that Joe Natelli was gone, the Loretta, uh, Mrs. Rogers and the daughters put out a a statement as well saying they did not agree with that. So they obviously voted against that at the board level. 
but Edward had the majority this time and was able to push it through. So I don't think the fences are mended at all. I think it's going to be very disruptive at the board level moving forward until, as you mentioned, they come to some truce or some understanding that they can all get on the same page, but they are clearly not on the same page right now. So where do you see this in the short term, especially with this uh, transaction uh, waiting in the wings? I think, you know, level heads around the transaction. I, I think everybody wanted the transaction to go through. So I'm not sure uh, discussions around that will, will proceed. It's the other internal dynamics at the board. You know, how do they, you know, how do they even get along? That uh, They obviously don't. And to have that discord at the board level, it makes it very difficult for the new CEO as well. He does not have the full support of the board. We know that. So that's something's got to change there in order for the board and the company to move forward. Uh, whoever does step in, it appears they'll be a referee. They'll be uh, on the fence trying to keep both sides happy. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it, that's why it's such a well-paid position. You're going to earn your money on this one, that's for sure. Richard Powers with us, Associate Professor, Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto. Richard, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you very much. My goodness, uh, those in the Hammer area certainly know the history of Cayuga, uh, also known as Jacasa Motor Speedway. Opened way back in 1966 as Cayuga and uh, has certainly uh, played home to some of the legends over the years. Uh, sad news today, uh, finding out that uh, it is no more. Let's bring in Eric Thomas, host of the Raceline Radio Network, heard right here on CHML Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. He's here now. Eric, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. We're, we're good, Scooter. Long time no chat. Hope you're you're well as well. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a sad day because no matter you know what what you look at in terms of history, you never ever ever want to see a speedway uh, for any reason uh, get padlocked and get shut down. But unfortunately, the uh, the shareholders at Jacasta Speedway, many of us still remember it as Cayuga Speedway in in Nell's Corners, not far from Hagersville, that you mentioned opened as a dirt track and. 66 had glory years with Bob and Leon Slack and Molson Money and brought in you know numerous NASCAR drivers to run ASA events, CASCAR events and ACT events and we saw some of our best let's put it this way some of the best asphalt late model racing in the country was staged at Cayuga Speedway and a 5 eighths of a mm. mile was the country's largest oval and it's it's a shame that now it's going to be padlocked at least closed and if they sell it and someone revives it as a racing facility I hope so, but uh, wow, you can you can spend two or three hours on the telephone talking about all the historic events and all the historic drivers and legendary drivers that have performed in front of our eyes at that place, and it, it's sad to see what's happened to it. So do we know anything about the future? Obviously, just the current owners aren't interested, shareholders aren't interested anymore, so they've padlocked the place. Does that mean yeah. that it is done as a speedway, or is there well, a chance someone could come back and revive it? Well, somebody, somebody could come back to buy it. They've had a, a long list of owners before Ken Hill and, and Montour bought it, and unfortunately, Ken Hill passed away. And and yeah, right now the future is is pretty much up to anyone's guess. There's always rumors this day and age when a large tract of land rurally becomes available that it's they're going to plow it under and plant marijuana on it. There's that rumor. There's another rumor going around that because they used to have the May two four concert weekend there that we remember well that they may yeah. turn it into a large some kind of a concert venue. But it's all speculation. You know, speculation too. They'll simply bulldoze it and build, you know, condos and houses on it. But I mean, if if someone is going to buy it and turn it into a race facility, um, I haven't heard of any name coming down the pipe. There's several people that could probably do it, but whether or not they want to operate it. I mean, we're still coming out of COVID. We're supposed to get our numbers yeah. back. We can get 100 percent 
uh, grandstand capacity for next year. And that's going to be one of the reasons that they're going to blame for making the decision to close it down because of COVID and what have you, which made it impossible for American series to come across the border, this, that, and the other. They did have a few, you know, NASCAR Canada or NASCAR pity series events there, but you know, it's a, it's, it's your guess is as good as mine as to what's going to happen. I'd like to see someone grab it and, and turn it, uh, over again and, and try and get some racing going there too, because we don't have large premier asphalt facilities around. There are smaller ones. You know, Flamborough comes to mind. Sobble Speedway comes to mind. Uh, but this, this certainly was the granddaddy of them all. And, uh, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it discontinue as a racing facility, but you know, you never know. Land is very expensive and very, very valuable in this, in this day and age of real estate. So your guess is as good as mine. What happens to it now? Uh, just to change uh, gears here, Eric, uh, yeah. there was rumors floating around a couple of years ago about one in Fort Erie. Has that all been disappeared? Pretty much. Pretty much, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, it would appear that that, uh, that has gone by uh, the wayside. It's, it's kind of a shame because um, I was in charge of uh, media uh, consultation with that, with that group, and I've never had a final word from the developer in terms of what's going on there. They still have the land. They still have the parcel of land. They got to pay taxes on it, but they're in the process of trying to find uh, different uh, purposes for the land that'll more than likely not include any kind of a, a racing facility. And it was simply a question of financing and the financing coming from the Middle East. And it, uh, you know, it took so long to get it through the Ontario Municipal Board to get it all approved that uh, you know, the funding basically went away. In, in originally, it went to they tried different uh, paths and different tributaries to try and get the money uh, solidified, and they unfortunately and sadly. We're not able to uh, to come to that to, to come to that end. So sadly, uh, Canadian Motor Speedway will will fade into non-existence, at least as far as as I've been informed, and and that's unfortunate. So that that just kind of underlines a circle back to the fact that until Cayuga Speedway, uh, you know, when it was around, and until CMS was was in in the planning stages, that at three quarters of a mile, same size as Richmond, was going to be the biggest one in the country. But that's not going to go ahead. So Cayuga is still there as the largest paved oval in the nation. So. You know, hopefully somebody can. Uh, would you be? Would you be? Would you be surprised, Eric, if all of a sudden somebody does show interest in it because it already is a facility? I mean, I'm sure there's not that much that needs. There's always work to be done at a racetrack, I guess, but it, it is yeah, there. Yeah. So, do you think? Uh-huh. Would you be surprised if somebody did take it over? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Really, I mean, they have spent an inordinate amount of money, you know, repaving it and redoing it, and you know, bringing it back to life. I mean, it sat empty for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, and and was a raccoon tower basically, and they brought it all back, and 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 they they spent an awful lot of money to bring it back. So I mean, it's it's virtually turnkey. And if someone is is willing to you know stick their neck out, what the one thing they need to do get Ron Fellows on the line, Eric. Come well, on, get Ron Fellows. Well, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they, they had they had their own paved over once upon a time, but you know, can can they run it? They have to have somebody down yeah. down in the, in the area to run it. They can't run it from a distance. I mean. Uh, you know, it, they've got to do it the right way, though. They've got to get, make sure that they promote. I mean, Bob Slack, with Molson's money, used to promote the hell out of the place, and, and their place was packed for all their events. In my experience, Jocasa didn't do that. I don't remember. didn't buy any time from Raceline Radio. I don't hearing any, any uh, Jocasa Speedway spots on CHML. But, you know, that's the way they do business, and that's fine. But it's unfortunately not going to continue under their ownership. And, you know, as I say, it's turnkey. It's ready to go. So if somebody wanted to grab a hold of it and continue it as a racing facility, that would be very good to see. Eric Thomas with us, host of the Raceline Radio Network, heard right here on CHML every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Jacasa Motor Speedway, a.k.a. Cayuga, on ice for the moment, but there's always hope on the horizon. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Always enjoy the chat, Slab. We'll talk to you again soon. 
Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hamilton Today, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom, and Diana picking the top hour tune today. It was the Everclear. You know, uh, when the show of the, I don't know, 15, 16 years, I used to use the same thing, and then I think I changed it once or twice. The same theme all the time. And then when we started doing the COVID shows, uh, which I don't know, I think it was like 87 weeks ago, I just started playing my playlist. And then after a year, I pretty much burned through all of that. And what it's so great about doing Hamilton today with Ted Michaels and Diana Weeks and Will Erskine is now they get to pull something off of their playlist, and it spans uh, everything from, uh, well, Ted's generation right up to Will's <laughs> and Diana's. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's great to hear. So uh, explain the Everclear to us. It was perfect for today, a cloudy day. Yeah, pretty much that's it. I mean, it's uh, on rotation on my playlist. As I mentioned, I have a lot of 90s music on there. It's just, uh, you know, my comfort zone. But uh, I listen to everything. And uh, so I just thought, you know what? We need some West Coast sunshine today, you know, coming from the, uh, the Everclear. And so I thought, why not? It fits perfectly, and oh yeah, as we get towards the uh, end of December, the middle of December, and Ted's retirement, we're going to do uh, Diana's Wheel of Hits and see oh, if Ted can yes. keep up. <laughs> I don't be... think Ted will know any of my music, and I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing, Wouldn't because it be he's amazing? on his game for his, you know? I know. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if all of a sudden, bang, 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 he gets five for five? I Wouldn't know. Surprise like you? random never... obscure bands, like grunge bands from the 90s? And you know what he'd say? See? 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 Come on. Yeah, there you go. I'm All not right, just thanks. a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The poor guy, get ready. He's bolting right in there now to, to shut you down. Uh, Ted and Diana will join us around the big round table coming up after the 4.30 news. Uh, thanks, Diana. And, of course, Will's going to join us, too. Feel free to jump into the convo. Love to hear from you. Lots of ways to do that. Send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, we have talked about uh, phone scams uh, over the years many times on this show. And, and including, I think, uh, once or twice actually doing a couple live uh, just to show you what exactly happens when you keep going. I think one time we had uh, somebody on for like 10 or 15 minutes before they realized that uh, they were, in fact, on the radio talking to all of you uh, as well as trying to scam me. So uh, some of these are pretty clever. Some of these are old takes, uh, new takes on old things that have been done for a, for a, a long time. And that's the case that we have here. Uh, Hamilton police say that there has been a, a recent uptick in reports of fraudulent calls uh, to elderly citizens in the city. And these callers, the, the calls come from people who are claiming to be younger relatives and needing a, a bailout of some sort, whether it's an emergency or this, that, or the other. And uh, for some reason, somehow, uh, catching uh, the senior off guard or catching the person off guard, and the next thing you know, they've released information and have lost money. Uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Sue Labine, call center supervisor with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, and with us now. Sue, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Well, hi. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Tell everybody what the Canadian uh, Anti-Fraud Center is all about, what the objective is here. Okay, so we are a uh, fraud reporting um, intake call center, and uh, we have uh, call takers answering the phones from uh, 9 a.m. till 4.45 east, uh, p.m. Eastern Time, and it's uh, basically for uh, anybody that wants to report a, a scam, if they've received a scam call, if, if they've fallen victim, and even if they haven't fallen victim, they, they should con- contact us to report. And so, uh, the information that we collect uh, helps law enforcement with investigations. 
So um, the sad part of all of this, Sue, is that when people get taken, a lot of the times they don't call anybody, let alone the police or you people, to to report it. Why is it important for them to call uh, not only the police but the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre to get this reported? Well, it does give law enforcement a lot of details on, on what the, the, the ongoing scams are as well. Um, it could help uh, prevent somebody else from falling victim to that scam as well. So, yes, it is very important. So this latest scam that Hamilton police are talking about certainly is nothing new. Uh, calls to the el- elderly from uh, a distressed younger relative in need of, uh, of money. Talk about this. How does this work? Well, the exact details of this scam could vary. Um, but generally how it works is they will uh, pose as a grandchild, for example. Um, they'll uh, uh, call with a frantic-sounding voice. Uh, they say that they're in trouble. There's been an accident, an arrest, or they've been robbed. Um, sometimes they'll up the urgency and, and say to, that they've been hospitalized or they're stuck in a foreign country. Um, they make it even more convincing by saying that, uh, you know, there's a police officer here with me right now, and they'll put somebody else on the phone. Uh, they'll, they'll even mm. pretend to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll ask uh, an, an urgent, very urgent voice to, to, for the uh, victim to send money. And uh, they make sure to say that they don't, not to tell their mom and dad. And, and that uh, also helps in uh, protecting. Uh, you know, convincing them that uh, they're really talking to their grandchild. What can the, they do, the scammers do, to try to make it sound like it is someone you know? I mean, because how can people possibly know any details in, to, to the extent where someone would give them money? Quite often, the, the fraudsters uh, do will go into the uh, grandchild's uh, social media accounts and find mm. out personal information such as their date of birth or names of some friends and uh yeah we'll say it's actually me grandma um you know uh yesterday i was at uh, so and so's house uh, we played soccer so they can be very very convincing for sure and this is nothing new this one has been around for a while it keeps coming back it seems absolutely it's it's a it's a very common scam right now so what tips do you have for anyone who would encounter this sort of call? Uh, and again, as you said, it's usually a really hyped up situation, a lot of anxious uh, anxiousness and, and, and certainly immediacy. So how do you, how do you, uh, what are some tips that we can sort of decode all of this to see if it's real or not? Now, so don't disclose personal financial information over the phone. You should never feel pressured and do not send money before doing your own investigation. Uh, know that a real police officer would not ask to have money sent on behalf of a relative or a friend. Mm. Um, no information should ever be given to a person until you're satisfied that they are who they are. So make sure to look up the phone number uh, if they're pretending to be a police agency or a government agency. And, uh, yeah, make sure that you call the number back um, and, and confirm with them first. And it's interesting, I, w- I was reading in some information that uh, the fraudster will even kind of ask you questions to get information out of you. Like, for example, like, don't you know who this is or uh, or what have you, uh, you know, waiting for them to give uh, the fraudster information. Exactly. So it's, it's, that is a definite uh, quick trick to, for them to utilize on, on grandparents. Are you surprised that this keeps coming back? 
Uh, no, it's very common for, for scams to uh, lay dormant for a time period and then come back because the, the fraudsters uh, try to come up with new tactics, new twists to the old scams to, so that um, the, the consumers are not up to date on, on the recent scams. So if somebody thinks, Sue, that they've been scammed or they want to re- report something or, or even if they have lost money, what should they do? It's very important to contact your local police, file a report with them, and also to contact the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre at 1-888-495-8501, or we also have an online reporting system. All right, so again, warning out from Hamilton Police, there's been a recent uptick in reports of fraudulent calls uh, to seniors claiming to be younger relatives in need of some sort of a bailout. And uh, Sue Labine from the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre said, watch out for this, it is on the rise again. Sue, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated, be well. Thank you. Sitting on the mat in the centre ring is a round table. A virtual table. And we're all gathered around it. Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, Will Erskine. Uh, great to have you all. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, we're going to start with a poll question of the day, as we always do. And by the way, you can access this on our Twitter page. Have you been ac- uh, have you been impacted by the supply chain shortage? Right now, 60% of you are saying yes. Let's go around the big table, starting with you, Diana. I understand you have been impacted by supply chain shortages. I haven't been impacted yet, but I was reading this article on globalnews.ca, and I quote, this is what it says in regards to supply t- chain shortages. So with the height of the holiday season just weeks away, there's growing concern that products like certain imported wines, Proseccos, and champagnes will be hard to find. Now, see, that coupled with the fact that I'm hearing there's going to be a Christmas tree shortage makes me kind of sad. Like, (laughs) Prosecco? Christmas tree? What am I supposed to do this holiday season? I had no idea, Diana Weeks, you were such a fan of the Prosecco. Yeah, and then they say, if you have a favorite product and you want to open a bottle to celebrate for holiday dinners, I would buy now... And keep it in the fridge for the next six to eight weeks. How's that going to happen? That's like buying Halloween candy ahead of time. It's going to be like the toilet paper, but at the LCBO. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> hey, that's a good point. Uh, so nothing uh, coming, or sorry, nothing uh, recent, but you're worried about in the future, especially around Christmas. We did hear the Christmas tree thing last year, so we'll see if that yeah. uh, materializes. I think it's going to be more fake Christmas trees. I think it's trees that are stuck in in you know storage or not storage units and containers somewhere that are that are going to be in short supply. What about you, Ted? Have you been impacted by the supply chain shortage of yet? No, and what I'm not concerned about is wine over the holidays. Why you? ask glad you asked there's a guy in stony creek i know his name is no his name diana gets her pen his name is nunzio abruzzi anytime i want wine not a problem and it's really good so let me guess it comes in a pail yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) with a with a box of straws um, Yeah. yeah no so no i'm not concerned at all um it doesn't really affect me yet i don't think um I don't buy that much wine anyway. Nunzio will take care of me. So, you know, all is good. I don't know. If you got a man named Nunzio, you're drinking a lot of wine, Ted. If yeah. you got your own wine guy, yeah. I mean, come on. Yep. Let's, let's be I'm serious impressed. here. See? I am too. Let's go to Ted's house for a nightcap. 
<laughs> all right. No, all of a sudden the lights are out and he's uh, hiding behind the couch there, isn't he? Didn't hear, drinking didn't hear the wine. There, did we? Yeah, drinking the wine. That's it. Uh, the only thing that I have, uh, and this was the first summer, uh, we have an old boat, uh, an old runabout uh, up at the cottage, and uh, just a simple part went. And that was at the very beginning of June, and we got the boat back after the Labor Day weekend. And it was something that you would simply get uh, by ordering it from, I don't know, Texas or some way. It would it'd be there in like 48 hours, and it just wasn't happening. So I think you get a lot of stuff like that. That's just, mm. you know, our neighbors across the road are having a hard time with a fridge. I'm actually glad you brought that up because my daughter was waiting for one. She ordered it from a store, um, uh, a chain that doesn't advertise yeah. with us. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it, I think it was in June. And they finally yeah. called them, and they they canceled their order, and, and and here we are in November. He said, "Well, I'll have to go somewhere else." Yeah, and they kept, you know, well, we don't have, we don't have, we don't, well, you know. Well, that's a drag when you go through all that. Then they cancel your order. Yeah, yeah. Same thing happened to my parents. They finally got their fridge, but it took months. So yeah. So so they finally said, "We're canceling the order. We're going someplace else." So, mm. All right. So, Will, you ever experienced anything shortage of? Uh, nothing that really jumps out, but it's just been that sort of pervading feeling where maybe you're moving through the grocery store and you're thinking, shouldn't that be a little uh, more on the shelf there? Or shouldn't this cost a little less? That sort of thing. Nothing's hit me close to home like a, like a special ordered wine or anything from Nunzio or anything <laughs> like that yet. No. <laughs> well, no. Nunzio will set you up, man. Nun- yeah, Nunzio, yeah. Can we check yeah. in? Is he okay? Yeah. Has he been affected by supply chain? <laughs> right. yeah. Nunzio I'm is thinking- fine. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of the Rocco Perry days, you know, and we're going across the lake in a boat of some sort. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, uh, as we we think of shortages and, and things that aren't available, uh, other stuff is. So I think what's happening is you may not get exactly what you want. This is what our neighbor was saying with the fridge. It's like they didn't end. They didn't get the fridge they wanted. They just uh, ended up getting what they could get, which was just like a small kind of, you know. Uh, uh, oh, you know, sort of beginner model fridge. That, those were the only ones that were were really around, and that's what they've sort of got to put up with until, like you said, with your daughter, they they get something. Yep. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, City Hall is heading back to work. This was a new story today. Is everybody getting ready? Is everybody ready to get back together? Uh, and go back to work with your peers. Now, they say we're in stadiums, we're in here, we're in there, but at least we know with all of those, everyone's fully vaccinated. Uh, how do you think how do you think everybody's feeling about getting back together with their peers? Long time coming. Uh, and for somebody like myself, I'm really frustrated with people not responding to emails or not responding to phone messages or whatever. Because now, mm. with our staff, especially with our boss, and this is not a, you know, I love our boss, but with Jeff, it's literally a five-step walk from where I sit to his office. And if I got an idea, I just go, yeah. hey, I'm thinking of something, and I can, you know, get him, at least if he's saying, him come back in half an hour. I'm not saying that he's bad at his emails. He's not. But it's very frustrating when you can't have a face-to-face meeting or a thought with somebody because they're working remotely. Yeah. So as a result, you've taken over his office. Is that what you're telling uh, us? No, I'm staying away. But uh, you know, it's, <laughs> no, it's, I have. Yeah, Will. Has. <laughs> Will has. <laughs> Will, Will was looking for a new place yeah. to uh, you know to put his feet up. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, 
what about you, Will? Are you feeling good or bad about this? Because you guys have been there. You guys have been locked down. We're coming back, we think, around Christmas time. But how do you feel about the rest of us coming in? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's safe enough. It's about time as long as all of you newbies coming back are okay. You know, everyone <laughs> who's been here, we've formed a tight clique. We have matching jackets, and we are going to rough you up for your lunch money. But, uh, yeah, we welcome you. We welcome new bloods. Yeah, I agree. I, can- I, I, uh, I really enjoy having people here. For sure. I, I could just see this. You guys will all be standing at the front door and we'll all have to, you know, they'll be spraying you with blue stuff or something before we get in the door. Make sure we're all <laughs> tested, you know, get the get the dipstick out, make sure your nostrils are clean. And let's put it this stuff. way. Somebody like myself, there's about 20 months of hugs that I haven't given people. So Aww. brace yourself. I don't know. Aww. Is the hug allowed? Is the hug allowed now? Because, like, hey. what about the handshake? Oh, the hell with the you handshake. Know, the, yeah, but the knuckle bump has sort I of replaced the, the, the handshake. Elbow bump oh, is the worst. The elbow bump. That is unbelievable. Uh, so, yeah, what, you know, what, will that be the case? Will you be able to, will you feel comfortable? You know what? <laughs> this is going to sound bizarre. Uh, a, a, a few months ago during the summer, we had to all go get our pictures taken for the website. And I ran into Alex Pearson. And, you know, she's normally working out of Toronto. So I, I ran into her uh, at Global. And the first thing I did, we're all in masks. The first thing I did was go up and give her a hug. And I thought, wow, that was probably the dumbest thing to ever do. Because people, not only in a Me Too time do they not want that, but in a post-COVID, are you going to, do you think the hug is coming back? Ask people first. I think so. And Can that's I hug what you? I are normally you cool do. with hugs? Most people are Can cool I, with hugs. Can I hug you? No. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I, that's honestly, orders from honestly, me, by the way. Honestly, I have no problem with I have no problem with that because the people that I ask to hug generally have been saying thanks for asking, and they on the yeah, other, it's respectful. You know, respectful, like you know. I agree. So that being said, Will said, "No way, man! Don't be hugging me. Stay away." Is that well, right? Fine. Man? Yeah, I the hell with him, him too. Will didn't like Will didn't like hugs before the pandemic. Get a there you go. I All don't right. let people near me emotionally or physically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Big Round Table. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We were talking about scams earlier, phone scams, you know, that happen to the elderly when people try to bilk themselves or bilk uh, old people or whoever out of, um, you know, their savings or whatever you, a few thousand dollars here and there. Sometimes it can be life savings, um, but certainly not uh, 46 million bucks. This is a case that the Hamilton Police Service are on right now. They've arrested a youth in Hamilton uh, with uh, to do with a large digital currency theft, $46 million, uh, and this dates back to March of last year. The FBI and the United States Secret Service all involved in this. Uh, it reminds me of the Karim Baratov case uh, way back when. Uh, if, is it anything like that? I'm not sure. We're going to talk to Carmi Levy uh, coming up a little later on this hour and uh, get a little update on what is going on. You know, uh, you're thinking these kids are, you know, in their parents' basement using their uh, their powers for good, not evil. And 46 million, my goodness. All right, and conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has removed a senator who's uh, questioning his leadership. Many have said that uh, the conservative leader uh, needed to uh, toughen up a bit and get rid of the extremists in the party. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up a little later on in the show. And soccer teams, Canadian, uh, Canadian soccer fans uh, across the country are, are ecstatic with uh, Canada beating Mexico uh, in uh, their chance uh, challenge to get 
to the World Cup and uh, in Edmonton in a very, very, very snowy game. So we'll talk to Scott Radley about that coming up uh, towards the end of the show. All right, uh, as mentioned in the newscast, you heard Ted and Diana talking about this, and it seems kind of weird. Uh, the PCR test, so you can go across the border now. They've opened up the borders. Uh, they did it. The U.S. did it back in August. We finally did it. Um, but you've still got to have a PCR test. And the problem is, is these are expensive. They're like, can be 200 bucks. So if you got a family of four, that's an eight, another 800 bucks. That could be like buying another airline ticket. So, uh, you know, and if you're going down for shopping, uh, or if you want to go to a Bills game or a Sabres game, uh, you're going to add quite a bit. Uh, to the price of this whole adventure just by having to to put up with a PCR test, uh, even though you are fully vaccinated. And there's been lots of pressure from both sides of the government for the Canadian government uh, to lift this. And today they are announcing or leaking out that uh, coming up later this week that they will exempt people from this PCR test who are going over for 72 hours, which, you know, you just got to shake your head. <laughs> Is this based on science? Um, you know, so you can go over for 72 hours. You can go to a game. You can go shopping. You can visit relatives. You can do whatever you want. And then as long as you're back in the country by seven, within 72 hours, you don't have to take an expensive PCR test. However, if you stay four days, five days, six days, seven days, then you do. So I guess what they're assuming is in the first three days of being in the United States, you're not going to get COVID. (laughs) You're not going to get exposed to it. But if you stay for day number four or day number five or day number six or seven, stay for a week, two weeks, you're done. How the heck does that make any sense at all? So basically what you're doing is you're appeasing those who are upset at the border towns for, you know, for those that want to go back and forth, cross-border shopping and such. And yet anyone who stays longer than that, no luck. And again, what difference does it make if you're out of the country for three days or four days or five days or six days or seven days? You still, uh, you know, I guess you have, I don't know, more days to get the virus. I don't know. It just seems nuts. Uh, If we've got to the point where we don't need a PCR test and an extra 200 bucks to go across the border, let's get rid of it. It's bizarre, but we're hearing another story. Uh, Hamilton Police Service uh, is involved in a case that a local youth has been arrested in connection with a large currency theft estimated to be around $46 million. Not chump change. Uh, This is a result of a joint investigation dating back to March of 2020, which also involves the FBI and the Secret Service probing a a cryptocurrency theft from a victim located in the United States. Joining Hamilton today to talk about all this, Carmi Levy is with us, tech analyst. Carmi, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Great to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. This sounds just bizarre. And the fact that uh, it's got a Hamilton connection even makes it even more uh, interesting. So what is, in layman's terms, what has happened here? What happened here is that uh, allegedly the perpetrator of this crime used something called sim swapping, which is um, uh, actually kind of one of the most frightening forms of cyber attack to 
target uh, the individual and essentially take control of that person's phone and then use it to raid whatever accounts uh, they, they could. And so SIM swapping, and this, the, what's scary here is that we hear $46 million, we hear cryptocurrency, we think, ah, it can't happen to me, but SIM swapping, uh, that's the thing that can happen to any one of us. Mm. And uh, the way it works is a criminal uh, basically goes online um, starts collecting information on you, which, of course, as you and I both know, and most of our listeners know, we're we're hanging it all out there. We're sharing it on social media, little you know pieces of data, our date of birth, the street that we grew up on, the name of our first pet, our favorite pet, our hometown, uh, my mother's maiden name, our kindergarten teacher, all things like that. And then they put it all together, and then they call your phone company, and they they pretend to be you, and they try to convince the phone company that they are in fact you, and. We experience this whenever we call them. They have, they ask us a bunch of questions. We jump through those hoops, and then they go, "Okay, yeah, you know, you are Carmi. Okay, great. So, what 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 can we do for you? You've you've gotten in. So once they do that, ask the phone company to port your phone number to a new SIM card. So you're sitting at home. You don't know any of this, and somewhere, you know, on the phone somewhere, someone is arranging to have every call that comes to your number redirected to a criminal's phone. And of course. We all know when we forget our password, what do we do? We click on that link, forgot password, and what happens then? A code gets sent by text to your phone. Mm. So, of course, that's what they do. They start going to each account, so your Gmail account, your bank account, your, in this case, cryptocurrency account, and they go, oops, forgot my email. Can you send me the code? They update it. They change the password. You're now locked out of all your accounts. They have direct access to it. That's how, in this case, somebody lost $46 million dollars that cryptocurrency account was one of the ones that they were able to seize control of. We've certainly heard of this with, uh, you know, scamming or uh, ransomware, uh, companies, uh, healthcare units, what have you. The fact that this is a crypto account, does, how does that change this? Um, doesn't really. I mean, it means that the stakes are higher because obviously $46 yeah. million is a much bigger number than you know, probably you or I could muster up. But you know, the mechanics of it are still very simple uh, and and very and very similar, and they're and they're well understood. And so, in this case, what's different is the scale, uh, and that's why it's generating the headlines. But the frightening thing is, is they're going after regular individuals every day using the same techniques. They don't generate the headlines, but the damage is just as significant. Because imagine all of your accounts have been cleaned out. Imagine someone went to your bank and just basically transferred everything, and and then accessed your email account and all your other accounts. And then imagine you're trying to recover from this devastating attack. You don't have to go back to your phone company, every single organization, and convince them that you're not a criminal. Uh, That is what makes recovery from these kinds of SIM swapping attacks so incredibly difficult because you've now got to re-verify your identity and you essentially can't. And it's just absolutely, it's beyond terrifying. Even if the numbers aren't as big as $46 million, they're scary. Um, obviously, this case in its early stages. What do we know about the Hamilton connection here? Anything you can tell us? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, we just we know that that. And what's interesting here is that Hamilton police worked jointly with the FBI and with the U.S. Secret Service Electronic mm. Crimes Task Force, uh, and uh, and that was set up in March of 2020, just as the pandemic was getting underway. And so, what jumps out at me here, and the reason the Hamilton police were involved, obviously, is this is an international crime. So the, the alleged perpetrator is from Hamilton, but the victim is not. Um, and, uh, and, and so it, it crosses borders. And so law enforcement has had to really up its game in recent years to reach across borders and use resources wherever they possibly can to bring perpetrators, bring the criminals to justice. 
uh, because obviously there's some, again, I'm not a legal expert, but there's significant legal implications of, of cross-border crime using a global resource like the Internet. So this shows, this illustrates ver- a very high level of, uh, of cooperation between uh, transnational law enforcement. Um, and I think it serves notice to criminals who would do this that, uh, you know, you're not, you know, just because it's cryptocurrency doesn't mean that you're beyond the, the reach of the long arm of the law. Uh, if you mess up, and in this case, the perpetrator allegedly did that, bought something that was fairly easy to trace using the proceeds of this crime, um, so thought he got away, thought he or she got away with it, and clearly did not. So, um, you know, I think this is uh, the, the, the positive takeaway here is that law enforcement law enforcement is figuring it out, and uh, even as the numbers get bigger and kind of frightening, uh, the cops have some pretty good tools up their sleeves, and clearly this case illustrates they know how to use them. Wow, it is mind-boggling when you think about it. I could go on with this uh, for the next half hour, uh, but we're out of time. Carmi Levy with us, tech analyst, talking about a Hamilton connection to a theft of $46 million worth of cryptocurrency. The FBI and the U.S. Secret Service involved in all of this as well as the Hamilton police. Carmi, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks so much, Scott. You as well. All right, uh, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has removed Senator Denise Batters from the party after she launched a leadership review petition. Uh, and in a statement, O'Toole said that, quote, as leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, he will not tolerate an individual discrediting and showing a clear lack of respect towards the efforts of the entire Conservative caucus who are holding the corrupt and disastrous uh, Trudeau government to account. To talk more about all of this, Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to The Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper, and with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am, Scott. Hope you are, too. Your thoughts on this, Michael? Uh, Many have asked for a review of some sort. Many have questioned Aaron O'Toole's leadership within the Conservative Party. What was the trigger here? What what was different? Well, the trigger was, much like uh, Bert Shen, the little-known Ontario member from the party's National Council, who 24 hours after the election called for a leadership review, uh, Senator Denise Batters, who I've known for years, and she's a she's a nice, intelligent, thoughtful woman. There's nothing nothing wrong with her personally. She has been, like other conservatives, frustrated with the election result this September, much the same way the conservatives were frustrated with the 2019 federal election result, in the sense that in both cases it looked like the Conservative Party at least had a small chance, if nothing else, of actually winning, and in the end ultimately did not. Ms. Batters was frustrated by the fact that she felt that Aaron O'Toole was flipping and flopping on his message and that he was changing the basic core values of the Conservative Party from fiscal issues and otherwise on sort of, as she said, a near daily basis. And I'm slightly paraphrasing. And for that reason, she was frustrated by it. She didn't think that the campaign was run properly in her view and obviously in the view of some other Conservatives. Ergo, she called for a leadership review within six months and issued a petition with a video involved with it. Um, the the issue here, though, is it's not that uh, that it's not that Denise Batters doesn't have the right, whether she be a, you know an unelected senator or an elected MP. She doesn't. She has the right to question things. She has the right to be frustrated. She certainly has the right to speak out. It's the way it's being done. You know, Mm. she didn't need to make a whole production with it. And I think that, with all due respect to her, I think that was the big issue. If she had discussed it privately with Aaron O'Toole and some of his senior advisors, yeah, the same thing might have ultimately happened. It's happened over the last few days. But at least it would have been done in a, a more reasonable manner 
instead of making herself to be the story, much like Bert Chen made himself to be the story, and others who've spoken out have made themselves to be the story. That's where it gets really bad. I mean, it's not just the Conservative Party that struggles through this. We saw this, for example, during the Jean Chrétien-Paul Martin fighting, where mm. the Liberal Party, who used to keep matters like that quiet and behind closed doors, all of a sudden it just completely exploded over the last few, you know, last couple of years of Mr. Chrétien's leadership. And for that reason, you know, they were frustrated by it the same way that conservatives get frustrated on a regular basis when a lot of these public spats, you know, are brought out in the open when really they should be discussed privately, even if the resolution, well, quite frankly, isn't a resolution in the end. Is this Aaron O'Toole putting his foot down as a leader, taking a stronger stance within the party? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt of that. I think that he and his senior staffers are getting tired of this. It's not that, again, as I said, it's not that they don't believe that other members, whether they be elected MPs, unelected senators, party supporters, donors, political activists or whatnot. We conservatives by nature believe all these people have the right to speak. We strongly support free speech and intellectual discourse. The problem is when that person or individual or group becomes the story rather than the leader, that's where the, basically the messaging goes really far off. And it allows opposition parties on the left, and it allows the liberal government led by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to take advantage of it to some extent by sort of making the argument that if the conservatives can't keep their own house in order, how in God's name can they actually lead the country? And that's an easy example for them to use time and time again. And it's hard for the conservatives to walk away from it or even defend it. I found it interesting that um, she came out and said in the in the media that she, you know this blindsided her that she thought she would get some sort of contact from um, uh, from the uh, from Aaron O'Toole in regard to this. It came as a surprise to to her that after all of this that it, what happened happened. What did she expect? It seems kind of silly and naive to think you're going to start throwing stones at the leader that, oh, my goodness, he's actually removed me. And and really, what does that say, Michael? Well, I agree. And there, and that's the funny thing. Denise Batters is not what I would regard as a politician who has naivete. She really doesn't. She's been a senator since 2013. Her late husband, Dave, was actually a member of the Canadian Alliance and the Reform Party as well and sat as an MP. Ms. Batters is a lawyer by training and a mental health advocate. She understands various types of worlds from the law to basically communications. It's something she should have realized. But again, I think she took the principled stand that, you know, look, she initially, as she said in one of her two releases, she tried to, right after the election, express her displeasure with what had happened or frustration with what had happened with Aaron O'Toole and possibly his leader's office. She claimed she didn't get a response. So then she launched this petition. And then you're right, Scott. Then all of a sudden she says she was surprised that there was enormous pushback. She was ejected mm. from the Conservative Senate caucus, and she doesn't understand why. Again, I like Denise Batters. I don't like going, I don't like going after her. But I think you have to realize or take into account to some degree that if you're going to speak out against the leader and your party, and the political movement, they're not going to appreciate it, one, they're not going to accept it, two, and they might just get fed up with you pretty fast, three. So what happens now moving forward with this, Michael? I don't really know. I mean, could could the damage be, you know, could they repair their relationship at some point? Could Aaron O'Toole and Denise Batters at some point sit down and try to talk about this? 
it's possible they're both reasonable individuals actually behind the scenes and what about within the party what about within the party and the message this sends well yeah that's an interesting question and again it, it comes down to the fact of how much support does Aaron O'Toole have within the Conservative caucus? Based on things I've seen and heard, based on things that have been reported, based on things that others have discussed, because there's, there's a wide swath of it, it appears as if Aaron O'Toole has enough support in the Conservative caucus to avoid a leadership review, or if a leadership review occurred, he would meet the baseline. So I think that he probably feels comfortable with his stance and what he's done, but whether the whether the damage can be repaired and whether other conservatives will now speak out. We've seen, obviously, some conservative supporters and grassroots members and others, you know, express their dismay about Mr. Miss Batters being ejected, and that's understandable. I don't know if it'll lead to a mass movement. I think certainly think, as you alluded to, and you're quite correct, Aaron O'Toole has made a strong stance. He booted out Denise Batters and basically said he was disappointed by this and he's not going to put up with this this type of pushback against his leadership, especially when the goal should be to go after Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. So I think it will obviously cause a bit of a tidal storm of problems. We can see that Denise Batters, who's now an independent senator, is pushing back. She still obviously claims to be a conservative and claims that, you know, that she was basically withheld from uh, or not allowed to discuss her opinions, mm-hmm. to issue her grievances, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how many people will follow her. Certainly some will, and that's problematic because it'll mean that the Conservative Party can't control the messaging and won't be able to make Mr. O'Toole the lead subject in the story. They'll always be following along. So it's got to be stopped, and that hole has to be plugged up as quickly as possible. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. You too. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Never gives up her dead. Tis of November can early. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. And today is Gordon Lightfoot's 83rd birthday, which is why we're playing that. Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 uh, on your cell. Scott Radley joins us, host of the Scott Radley Show. And, of course, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. And, of course, Scott's show is coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, how are you? I hope you're doing well. I am doing great. And I must say, when you played Gordon Lightfoot, I saw he was trending on Twitter today. I always get fearful when I see that. My, my, I was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> oh, remember I, that? Well, I think it's twice now that there have been stories and reports that Gordon Lightfoot is dead. And then people call him yeah. and go, oh, no, still here. But um, yeah, <laughs> so good, good thing he's still kicking and still playing that endless song. Uh, yes, it's six minutes and something. I can't remember exactly how long it was. Um, but I remember, uh, working with, uh, Jesse and Jean way back when in Toronto and they received an award and Gordon Lightfoot presented it to them. Cool. And, uh, and Jesse leans over and says something to Gordon Lightfoot and then he busts out into laughter and someone takes a picture and that picture ended up in the newspaper. And what he said to Gordon Lightfoot that night on stage, I think it might have been at Massey Hall. I can't remember now. Anyway, uh, what he said was, you know, I used to always love playing the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald because it allowed you enough time to go to the bathroom. 
<laughs> I believe it. Yeah, I, uh, and 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 Gordon Lightfoot thought that was quite hilarious. Uh, you know, with his signature song there. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Canada's soccer team beating Mexico. Soccer yeah. fans are still partying across the land as we speak. Uh, obviously, in Edmonton, and and the weather was a factor, as it pretty much always is uh, in Edmonton. Was this a secret weapon for us, or is this just an excuse? Oh, no, no. Well, first of all, Nick Bontis, who is from Hamilton, Mac Prop, yep. who's also the president of uh, Canada Soccer, is coming on my show at 7 tonight to talk about this. He's just back from Edmonton. I think he may be thawed out by now. I'm not sure. Yeah, he was out um, there. Yeah. Look, it's at Mexico. Uh, so this qualifying for the World Cup, which is what is going on right now, Canada hasn't qualified for the World Cup since 1986. I mean, and, and let's be honest. I mean, it's not it's not telling any fibs to say that for most of the time that you and I and most of the listening audience have been alive, our men's soccer team has been atrocious. Mm. Um, you know, there are church league men's teams that might've given them a game sometimes. I mean, they've been bad. And so this is fantastic that they are now a team to be taken seriously and are really in a great position to qualify again. And so when you say, well, you know, the, 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 the uh, environment and the cold and everything else, I have no problem with it. Some people say, well, this wasn't really Canadian. This wasn't good sportsmanship. When you go down to try and qualify for games in Mexico. Yeah, really? They hang out outside your hotel room and pull the fire alarm and, and play loud music and dance and cheer. They, they, there's all kinds of stuff, gamesmanship that happens. And so, you know what? I have, I have no problem with Canada using what is our home field advantage to our advantage. I don't. They, they didn't do anything illegal. They didn't cheat. They simply said, we're going to play soccer when it's, you know, when Santa Claus would be tuning in, turning in for the night. I mean, he, it was freezing. But so you talk, you talk about uh, this team's past over the years and such. Uh, be realistic here. How far can they go? How good are they? Can, can they make an appearance? I, well, look, so they've got, I think they've got six games left in the qualifying. I think they're in first place right now. Uh, the top three teams make it. So they're in really, there are four teams that are going to be vying for those three spots, really. And it's Mexico, the States, Panama, and Canada. Uh, Canada's already beaten Panama once, four to one. They have them to play once more. They have another game with the States to play. If they can win one of those two games, they're almost, you would think, unless they, you know, do something stupid and completely wet the bed against some really a team that they should beat handily, which is the rest of the group, um, they should be there. And, I mean, it's, it's as I say, Scott, we're talking now coming up on 35 years yeah. it is right it's now. the 80s, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are, I don't know what the median age of people in this country is, but it's got to be getting close to half the population of this country has not been alive to see Canada in a World Cup. I mean, it's, it's incredible how long it's been. So... Well, you'd have to start using descriptions of the Leafs, and who wants to go there? Uh, Scott Radley's been with us, host of the Scott Radley Show and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, and we'll have more on uh, Canada's soccer team coming up after the 6 o'clock news. Uh, Scott, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for contributing. As always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener.
to have the last word. There might be supply chain problems with product, but there's never supply chain problems with love. Give somebody a hug if they're okay with it. <laughs> there you go.